Amen. We're going to read um, from the Gospel of Mark this morning before we have a little short reflection on that. Hopefully the, the words will come up on your screen. We're in Mark 16. And um, verses 1 to 8. Verse six, uh, chapter 16, verses 1 to 8. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome bought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb. And they asked each other, who will roll away? Who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You're looking for Jesus, the Nazarene, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. May God add a blessing to the hearing and the doing of, of the word today. Last Sunday, Redeemer, we gathered together here in this place for Easter Sunday. As I was saying at the start, we gathered in person and we gathered online in a hybrid kind of gathering, but we were together and it was a beautiful experience to have people here in this building for the first time in three months and to have people on Zoom connecting in as well, to being together, to celebrate the risen Jesus. It was as I say, beautiful and so meaningful. But I don't know about you, this Easter for me has felt different and not because of the logistics of having to organize or do hybrid church gatherings, but I think because of the moment that we're living through. I don't know if this resonates with you, but the events that are going on in our world today, the pandemic and all the effects of that, and in a sense, we're somewhat wearied and tired and exhausted even talking about that. But it is still so very real on the effects of it. The, the, the difficult and challenging political landscapes, not only here in our province here, but around the world, the, the distrust and also the disappointment of seeing leaders failing and falling authority figures failing and falling both inside the church and outside. There's also the ideological polarization between extreme left wing and extreme right wing agendas taking place, especially online, social media, and the hatred and the lack of understanding. And then, of course, this week here in Belfast and in Northern Ireland and different towns around our province, we've seen violence visit these streets once again, rioting here again. Of course then, I think, no matter what your politics and views on, on the monarchy, I think even the death of Prince Philip this week 
seems like the beginning of the end of an era. There's so much change going on. So much is in flux. So much is uncertain. So much is not the way it was a year ago. And I think in the midst of that, I personally have found Easter a little bit difficult. Different for sure, but difficult. Perhaps because when you simply look at that, the realities of our world, it seems like hope is hard to come by. Hope is hard to come by. I don't know if you're feeling that way. I don't know if you're feeling this morning like hope is hard to come by, despite the fact that Easter has come and gone, despite the fact that Easter Sunday has come and gone as, as people of faith, as followers of Jesus. We've, we've marked that, we've celebrated that. It's so meaningful to us. And yet the realities of the time we live in are so real and heavy. I don't know if you feel like that this morning. That's how I have felt as we've journeyed this Lenten period into Easter and even through Easter Sunday, that hope is hard to come by. And somehow it, it, it seems so much more challenging to, to actualize the reality of Easter. This morning we're looking at this passage from Mark 16. And it's the first in a series that we're going to do over the next few weeks where we examine encounters with the risen Jesus. So I want us to look at this passage very uh, briefly this morning um, from the first Easter Sunday morning. The first verse of Mark 16, when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome, bought spices so that they might go and anoint him. Let's dive into this story and we'll circle back around to what this means for us. So what's going on in this passage here? This is a very different world than the one that we live in today. The Sabbath had passed. Um, what, what is the Sabbath and what are these spices and what are they going to do? These are questions that arise in our minds after living life on the road with their friend Jesus and the disciples for three years. They have seen their Lord and their Messiah murdered at the hands of the Romans and his body buried, hope buried, hope dead. For there were all sorts of hopes attributed and caught up in the person of Jesus and who he claimed to be. The Jewish people, as their custom led them, believed that to show dignity to someone in their death, you were supposed to cover and anoint their body with certain oils and spices to signify that their life mattered, to honor them. And so here in the story we dive into, we have these women heartbroken at all that had happened to their friend Jesus and the violence that had been wrought upon him in his death on the Friday. And the despair and the profound disappointment of all that they had hoped for. These are women grieving. That's what's happening here in this story. They have their doubts, they have their questions, they have their disbelief, they have their despair, and they're simply heading to the tomb to grieve, to grieve, to grieve their loss, to grieve their friend Jesus, and to do what needed to be done 
to anoint Jesus' body, to honor their friend. And so it was the first day of the week, Sunday, and the sun had risen and they went to the tomb and they were saying to one another, who will roll the stone away from the tomb? For the, Jesus' body was, was buried in a tomb with a stone that covered the entrance. And so they were thinking like logistically, like how are we going to get into the tomb? Who's going to roll the stone away? And in their grief and in their despair and in their disappointment, they, 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 they were clearly were not thinking straight in the sick because they raced to the tomb with a sense of urgency, a sense of duty to do what they could. I think we humans, we're, we're no different, no matter what culture or creed or religion, we can relate, all of us, to this sense of duty, to, to doing the right thing that needs to be done in such a circumstance. We actually know what to do with grief. We know what to do with grief and despair. We have a place for it. We have rituals that surround it. And on that first Easter, the feelings of grief and despair, disappointment and disbelief were really present. There was no part of these women that were thinking that they were going to an empty tomb, to a resurrection. They were going to do what their, what their rituals and the customs that they, they, they knew to do. They were going to, out of duty to do that to their friend Jesus and to grieve their friend Jesus, who was a friend, but also a rabbi. So here we have a rabbi who's, who is dead. In a sense, they were on dead rabbi duty. They were going to anoint the body of a dead rabbi, of a, of a heretic or a revolutionist or a hero or a defector, a traitor, a renegade, a crazy man, a messiah, a dead messiah. They were going to grieve their friend, Jesus and all of the hopes and dreams that had been caught up during the past three years on the road with Jesus. As I said, like these women, we know what to do with grief and despair. We have a place for that. We have rituals that surround that. And yet the women arrive and they receive the news that their friend Jesus the Christ has risen from the dead. We heard it as I read the gospel story earlier. Truly remarkable news, unbelievable news, literally astounding news that they were told that their friend Jesus had risen, that he was not there where they had laid him, that he had risen, that the tomb was empty. Surely at this moment, surely this encounter, in a sense with the empty tomb at this point, and the reality of the risen Jesus, surely this would cause a hallelujah to rise up in them. Surely they raised the hallelujah. Surely they rejoiced. Surely they were overcome with joy. It's really funny because the gospel of Mark and all of the gospels record a very different response each gospel in very different ways speak about the fear that the women felt. The gospel of Mark that we read this morning finishes not with a group of women raising a hallelujah or rejoicing 
uh, a picture of maybe Jesus' followers running through the fields during springtime. Perhaps that's what we think of when we think of Easter. But in a sense, the, the Gospel of Mark uses this description, that the women were trembling and bewildered. Mark tells us that they fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. That was Mark 16, verse 8. Why does Mark end the gospel writing talking about the fear and the silence and the trembling of the women and what they experienced at an empty tomb? This week, I've been reading an article by Esau Macaulay, and he's been writing about Easter in the New York Times. And he says that Mark's ending points to a truth that often gets lost in the celebration of Easter. And it's this truth, that Easter is a frightening prospect. For the women, he says, the only thing more terrifying than a world with Jesus dead was one with Jesus alive. He goes on to say that hope is much harder to come by. The women did not go to the tomb looking for hope. They were searching for a place to grieve. They wanted to be left alone in despair. The terrifying prospect of Easter is that God called these women to return to the same world that crucified Jesus with a very dangerous gift, hope in the power of God, the unending reservoir of forgiveness and an abundance of love. It would make them seem like fools. Who could believe such a thing? I really, really resonate with that perspective from Esau McCauley, especially this year, especially as we live through such challenging times that we're all just searching for a place to grieve, to grieve the losses, and so we should, that we want to be left alone in a sense, that there's a time for that, and there is. But the frightening thing about Easter is that there is an invitation to us as Jesus followers, as Christians, to return to the world with hope, with hope in the power of God, and to bring the love and compassion of God into the brokenness and into the grief and into the despair and into the difficulty and into the challenge. And it is a frightening prospect. It's a terrifying prospect. It's a daunting prospect because the reality is sometimes we find it hard to believe ourselves. Sometimes we're scared of looking like those fools in the midst of such challenges. Even this week, as we've looked at the desperate scenes on our TV screens of the violence again in our streets in Belfast, perhaps your heart has been filled with despair, with sadness, with grief around all of that. You wonder, how is anything going to change? Will it ever change? Esau Macaulay goes on to say this, that Christians at their best are the fools who dare to believe in God's power to call dead things to life. 
Christians at their best are the fools who dare to believe in God's power to call dead things to life. He goes on to say, we become a source of hope that did not originate in ourselves. I love that, to be a fool who believes in God's power to call dead things to life. The question and the invitation to us is, are we willing to be these fools of hope in God's power to raise dead things to life? Esau goes on to say, as we leave the tombs of quarantine, our return to normal would be a disaster unless we recognize that we are going back to a world desperately in need of healing. For me, the source of that healing is an empty tomb in Jerusalem. The work that Jesus left his followers to do includes showing compassion and forgiveness and contending for a just society. I love this line. It involves the ever-present offer for all to begin again. I love that. As we return, as we leave the tombs of quarantine, to use Esau's language, and return to the world, we're returning to a world full of challenge, full of brokenness, a world that is desperately in need of healing, and yet we are the fools that are foolish enough to believe that our God is a God who calls dead things to life again. That we, as followers of Jesus, are to be fools in that sense, fools to trust and hope that God is bringing resurrection even into the most dire situations and circumstances, that we're called to be people of compassion and forgiveness, that we're called to contend for a just society. And I love what he says, that this invitation is the ever-present offer for all to begin again for all to begin again. Easter is about second chances, third chances, fourth chances, constant invitation for newness, for new beginnings, for everything to begin again. And it is a beautiful and powerful hope. It'll take courage for us to return to a world so desperately in need of healing. But this is the invitation to us as followers of Jesus. And it's a frightening one. It's a terrifying prospect. It's a daunting prospect. And yet, it is the invitation to us. As N.T. Wright says this, the message of Easter is that God's new world has been unveiled in Jesus Christ. And now you're invited to belong to it. The message of Easter is that God's new world has been unveiled in Jesus Christ. And now you are invited to belong to it. Easter is scary because the world has changed, but not the kind of change brought about by politics or pandemics or even the violence, however tragic that that may be on our own streets in this city. But the change that the world has undergone is because of an empty tomb in Jerusalem because of the risen Jesus. The world has pivoted. The world has changed in that reality, in that moment, and will never be the same again. And we are the fools to believe it, fools to believe in the hope of God to bring restoration and resurrection life to this world. And for those of us 
for those of us who have encountered the risen Jesus, for those of us who have known his love, who have been made into new creations in Christ, we are invited to practice resurrection life. We're invited to hope for this world to be made new. A terribly daunting, but terribly, terribly daunting, but terribly hopeful good news. Pope John Paul II said this, do not abandon yourself to despair, for we are the Easter people, and hallelujah is our song. So this morning, I, I want to lead us in some prayers to practice resurrection, to be fools that hope for the power of God to bring life out of dead places and dead things. I want us to be terrified and yet filled with hope at the prospect of the world in which we are returning to after this quarantine period, a world that so is in need of resurrection life and healing and one to which we are called as the people of Jesus. For Belfast and for our province, we can pray very specifically this morning, and I want to do that now. To pray for the end of violence, to pray for peace to reign, and ultimately that we, we pray as the people of God, as fools daring to believe in the power of God, we pray that the Christ and the peace of Christ would reign in every heart and every mind of every citizen in this city, that the good news would be actualized, that there would be peace. So we're going to sing in a moment. We're going to take communion. But before we do that, I want to lead us in prayer this morning. Prayer, a prayer of hope, a prayer of peace, a prayer of life and resurrection that we may be fools having encountered an empty tomb, fools that would dare to believe in the terrifying prospect that our God brings life out of dead things and dead places. Let's do that now by praying for our city. Our Father, we thank you for Jesus this morning. We thank you for the empty tomb. We thank you for the hope that is found in our God, a God who brings life out of dead places. We pray for healing and for hope to visit our streets. We pray for healing to visit our own hearts. We pray that you would equip us, even in the midst of this terrifying and daunting prospect, that the world has changed and that we're called to bring a story of hope and healing. Would you equip us? Would you bring, would you give us all that we need, courage to be that kind of people, fools, fools for resurrection, bringing life where there is life that is needed. And Lord, we pray that you would protect. In that spirit, we pray that you would protect our city from, from further acts of violence. We pray, Holy Spirit, you would fill our streets with peace. We pray specifically this morning as resurrection people, we pray for those caught up in violence that for those who feel like they have no other options, may they see a better way. We pray for life there.
for those living close to the mayhem, for those who feel vulnerable or fearful. May, instead of being filled with fear, may they be filled with peace and hope. Lord, we pray that these recent attacks would not lead to more fear or uncertainty or division, that they may not be a catalyst for further acts of hate. Lord, we dare to believe that good things can come out of this situation. We pray for life for our city and for our province. We thank you, Lord, for the good men and women who risk their lives on behalf of others. Would you empower the police and the emergency services to protect our city from further acts of violence? We pray this morning, Lord, that you would give our politicians wisdom to make good decisions for the betterment of all. God, would you empower us, your people, your church in this city, in this land, to truly be peacemakers, fools that would hope in the resurrection power of God for our communities, for second chances, for third chances. Would you empower us as your church to bring the good news of Easter, the good news of a resurrected Jesus, the good news of life to our communities. And Lord, we pray looking forward to the day when one day in that beautiful restored city of Zion where you lay out a feast of rich food for us, where death is swallowed up, Lord, we, we look forward to the day where weapons will be beaten into plowshares, where tears will be wiped away, where death will be swallowed up forever. We pray, Lord, for a foretaste of that day right now. We pray your kingdom come, your will be done in Belfast, in Northern Ireland, as it is in heaven. Come like the dawn, like grace, like sunlight, bring this world to life. Come like rain, like breath, like springtime, bring this world to life. In Jesus' name, we pray, amen. Amen, we're gonna sing about the love of Jesus that has changed us, that has turned us from people who were enslaved by fear and death into people of new creation, of life. We're gonna celebrate the love of Jesus now by being led in a song called Since Your Love by Rebecca and Stephen. Over to you guys.